If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is brought to you by Mountain Tough and Yeti. A lot of the tactics I talk about here require you to be in top physical shape. So I partnered with Mountain Tough to help get you ready for the mountain. With their science-based hunter-specific training app, you'll get in shape and mentally tough, able to tackle any hunt. Because we really believe this will help you be more successful, as a listener to this podcast, we're giving you six free weeks to get you started. Just use code LIVEWILD. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine and has some of the best products out there, including their just-released 15 and 60 Go Boxes. These are durable, stackable, dust and watertight storage that's great for organizing and transporting all your favorite gear to and from the field. I actually got to test some of these this past season and put them through the paces traveling from hunt to hunt. It kept my stuff accessible and protected. Practical in so many situations, from raft trips down the river to elk camp in the Rockies, it's nearly indestructible, go anywhere storage that's now available. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Wild Live podcast. If you're calling in, I really appreciate you guys calling in. I'm really excited to get to your questions. This week, we've got a couple of cool prizes. We've got a subscription to either Outdoor Class or Go Hunt Insider. Uh, I've got a couple of those to give away, so I'm looking forward to talking hunting with you guys. If this is your first time calling or you're not familiar with the setup, All you have to do, I'll I'll answer the call. Just tell me where you're from and then jump right into your question. Give me your name, where you're from, and then we'll go into the hunting question. All right, so I'm going to jump in to our first caller here. Hey, Remy. Hey, who am I talking to? Uh, This is Greg. What's uh, what's your question? So, uh, relatively new hunter. I'm down here in Florida. Um, Found your podcast in a while back. Um, You mentioned something about um, hunting hogs by kind of finding them under the palmettos in their beds and creeping up on them that way somehow. Um, I've had a little bit of success this year, um, just kind of just putting miles on and, and finding them out feeding. Um, I have come across a couple of times where you can hear them in the palmettos, but just can't seem to get in on them. Um, just wondering how you did that and if you give me a little more information or any more tips to uh, make it less luck and more consistent finding them? Yeah, that's a great question. When it comes to hunting pigs, one of the things that I, I like to do is I actually like to hunt them, like you mentioned, in the middle of the day when they're bedded up. A lot of my experience doing that is in um, you know Australia and other places. Uh, I've kind of done used the same tactic everywhere. There. I've used it in Florida, California, uh, other spots. So it, it kind of depends on the type of terrain, but what you're doing is you're finding those like hog wallowy bedding areas. And I generally look for 
uh, water sources. If it's an area that's pretty dry and there's like a, a, you know, some places there's just water everywhere. It's almost like a swamp. So I, I cruise through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I, I look for those places where, you know, th- where hogs like to wallow and lay and they've got, you'll see the, their beds. They've got a little bit of water in there. It smells, there's pig shit everywhere. You know, it's just like they've dug out those places underneath banks, any little cuts or, or anything else where they're really protected. But they're also, they've got that little bed in there with cool water so they can get out of the heat. Once I've identified those areas, if I don't know where those areas are, I generally just kind of still hunt throughout, uh, not even necessarily during the day. But if there's a place where I've blown hogs out of, then I just kind of keep check. Like I'll, I'll drop a pin on my maps and I'll keep checking those places because oftentimes you'll find pigs going into some of the same areas or finding similar areas like that. Uh, and then I just move in really slow, glassing in that real thick stuff. There's been so many times where you're glassing into those little pockets that you find. You're going, is there, there's nothing in there. You're just rolling your focus and you might be 15 yards away. Then all of a sudden you see the twitch of something or a little bit of movement, or maybe you just like realize that that's hair and not just shadow that you're looking at. And that's a really fun way to hunt them. You get in close. Uh, they're, they're generally sleeping or not paying as much attention. And, um, you know, it can be pretty productive as opposed to trying to, to stalk them when they're out moving, feeding, other things. Uh, it's been a way that I've been consistent when I go to new places hunting hogs where it's like, okay, I'm just going to find the water and try to find these bedding zones and then kind of keep hunting those when it gets real hot and still hunting it and just slowly moving around looking for those in those little tucked in sheltered spots. And for the most part, it's a lot of moving. And then once you get an area where you, you realize like, okay, there's, they like this particular area, then you can kind of keep going back to those areas and generally finding pigs there. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, they're kind of everywhere and nowhere all at once. I mean, where I'm hunting, there's just, they'll just root up like, you know, football size, field sizes, uh, areas. Um, and you know, if you happen upon them and they're there, you're lucky, but, uh, I'll try try that try kind of finding them in the middle of the day when they're just laid up uh you can definitely smell them i was, uh, was thinking about your podcast on my last hunt because I, I i could smell the pigs they just never kind of came out into the open but so thank you for everything i really appreciate that um, awesome one little uh, show request would be um looking to, to get out west and hunt an elk um i'd love a show about you know kind of like a practice hunt or a first hunt you know like a cow calf or you know what what to do to kind of prepare to to go for a big backcountry um bull elk hunt um without just doing that on your first trip out there yeah that's a great request and i think i'll definitely add that into the mix because i know we get a lot of people asking something similar and you know there are a lot of great first hunts out here and to be honest an easy hunt to, to find tags and find success is that cow elk hunt it gets you in elk country, gets you familiar with it, and you, you often go home with the reward of some really good meat with uh, lower cost associated as well. So that's that's a great idea, and I definitely will put that in the queue for uh, some upcoming episodes. Thanks so much for calling in, and, and best of luck out there. And, you know, when you find those places where they smell – I mean, there's been times where I've been hunting pigs, and literally you just – you walk right past them. You'll turn around and move 10 feet over, and then they blow out. Or the same type of thing where they're in an area, and they were there yesterday, but they aren't there today. Uh, they can move a lot as well. So it depends on the type of country and everything you're hunting. I prefer to find country that's conducive to that style of hunting that I'm talking about where it's a little bit drier. And then you can find those those fewer water sources and find it limits the bedding areas, you know. 
and especially it's a really good tactic if you've got a lot of country that you can cover. Uh, if you've got a smaller area where they can move off real easy, it makes it more difficult. But something to think about and something to try. So appreciate the call and uh, best of luck. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, congrats on uh, the new addition to the family. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We're, we're really enjoying him. So it's been a lot of fun. Have a good one. Bye. All right. We're going to jump to our next caller here. Welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking with? Uh, this is Andrew. Hey, Andrew, uh, how's it California. going? All right, on. Going really good. Uh, thanks, dude. I called into each one of your uh, podcast live streams so far, and this is my first time actually getting picked oh, up for a phone call. So, uh, con- yeah, congrats on the little baby boy. Uh, so I've got a good question. Uh, my family, well, extended family, owns some uh, private property that's up like it. Uh, out here in central California that's up at like 2,000 feet in elevation. Um, Every single year, we end up having a couple small bucks out on the property. Uh, We always end up trying to – we've got a water source for them and stuff like that, but we try to get on them as much as possible. But it's really hard locking them down on like where they're going to be at, like schedule, like wake up, feed. It always seems like they're feeding in a different spot. seems like they're bedding in a different spot seems like they're never in the same exact spot like ever uh i got my wife on one of the bucks this year during rifle season uh she's got a small little forky that's for you tori and uh she ended up dropping uh this little forky buck but i need to know uh every single year i don't want to try to take one of the smaller bucks with uh with my rifle but i'd like to take one with my bow since it'd be my first bow kill but uh how do you how do you get to the point to where you got them figured out to where the moving constantly beds moving feeding spots never in the same spot? What would you? Yeah, suggest? I mean that's like the allure of mule deer hunting right there is because they they aren't super patternable most of the time. That's how mule deer survive, and they they like they can be more patternable certain times a year where they're consistent on food sources or maybe water sources, but. They often leave, they bed in different places, and and what they're doing often depends on the situations that are going on. So it might be uh, the wind's moving in this direction, well, they've got a better bedding spot over here. By being kind of more nomadic, moving around, changing things up, that's how they stay safe. And so that's the challenge of it, but that's where the spot and stock techniques and tactics come in. Now, the the country you're talking about might be really thick, and it makes it very difficult to do that, so then I, I move more toward a still hunting tactic or a, or a stock then spot kind of tactic where you're moving really slow through the country, uh, looking, glassing, and then hoping to, to get upon one uh, that way. But generally in that, like what you're saying, is they're hard to pin down. The key is to just kind of find them. And you cover a lot of country, glass a lot of places if you can. Depends on how large or small the property is. You know, if it's a smaller piece of property, it can be difficult because – you know, you, you need a little bit of country to hunt mule deer many a time. So there's a few things you can do where you just kind of decide, well, you know, maybe earlier in archery season, they're more tied to water, which they probably will be, or more tied in like feeding more often uh, than they are later in the season. But for the most part, it's kind of going to be a game of finding them, then moving in, or just kind of still hunting those ridges, like moving slowly through game trails and other travel corridors, potential bedding areas like checking all the potential bedding spots until you find one you know you just got to like 
be glassing, be ready, be looking as you're moving slow through it. So I don't know what kind of terrain it is. Is it more open terrain or is it pretty thick and covered? No, no, it's a good, it's a good little mountain range with a valley down below, but it seems like every single time when it bottom, they're up on the move. Like early morning, we get out there first light and they're already up on the move, like off the property away from where everything's at. Like they're, they're literally uh, like stay on the outskirts and move outward, which is what makes it so difficult. Yeah. And that happens a lot, you know, and, and I don't know if it's like private around where, you know, or maybe it butts up to, to forest service there, that happens a lot. And there are places where you can actually take advantage of that. If you aren't the private landowner and you go, Hey, they, they're feeding at night down in the valleys or there's something on this piece of property that they like, but they do it at the cover of dark. And then they move off into that bigger mountain where they've got maybe more secluded bedding, better options for wind and bedding. Um, so that's just something to think about. There might still be deer. Uh, if there's good bedding areas there, uh, maybe you've got like a draw that's real shaded, like a south facing or sorry, a north facing slope. Uh, that's maybe shaded a lot longer during the day and you can set up and just really pick that apart because you might be surprised at how many are in these little secluded pockets uh, bedding in spots that you might overlook or might not really be able to see into too well so if, if you can get to really know that and go like oh here's some places where these deer have dug out like if you got a couple steep banks on a north face where they might have dug out some bedding areas in some thick cover and then you know if you know like that's the nice thing about knowing a piece of property that you can hunt year in year out or spend time in during the summer or whatever is you can kind of find places like that where you go okay this is a, a good bedding spot and you might be able to just kind of hit all the high priority bedding spots and find yourself a buck that way that maybe didn't move off or you think they moved off but they've just kind of disappeared into thick cover uh that's something to think about as well perfect i like the wind i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna definitely start spots that are uh, more secluded than not so much in the wind yeah, and, you know, like the places that tuck out of the wind, places where they can bed, where the wind's coming down from the top of the mountain down to them. So they're bedded in that steep hill. They've got the wind at their back. They're overlooking and maybe a place that's really thick and noisy for predators to get into. That's just a, a that's a perfect spot for a deer to bed and a place that they can slip away and disappear. Um, sometimes they'll travel long ways to find a place like that. But sometimes they just get out of your sight and then they, they hunker in a hole somewhere um, and and end up being in right there i have three spots that i'm thinking of right now as you said that like exactly where i'm gonna start looking perfect awesome well i really appreciate the call i appreciate you taking so many uh attempts to get a hold of us and uh for your effort i'm gonna give you a you can have your choice of either a outdoor class or go hunt membership i've got a couple more to give away or another one to give away uh later on in the podcast but you're gonna be the uh, receiver of the first one uh, feel free to just shoot me. Uh, do you have social media? Uh, can you shoot me a message on Instagram? Yeah, I do. Cool. Shoot me a message on Instagram right now before this thing goes a lot like posted, and um, I'll make sure to to get you all set up. Will do. Thank you, Remy. Yeah, appreciate the call in. Thank you very much. All right, we're gonna go to our next caller here. Hey, Remy. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. How's it going? Good, Remy. This is Bob from Pennsylvania. How are you? Congratulations. Hey, Bob. How's it yeah, thanks so much. We're, we're enjoying it. You know, I, I always thought that hunting season was when I got the least amount of sleep, and then I had a second baby. <laughs> like, well, hunting season, I, I wouldn't mind some of those four or five-hour nights, you know? So, Seriously. Hey, not I've, too bad, but I've we're really enjoying it. I've had two myself, it. and two is much more difficult than one. 
Yeah. <laughs> Double the trouble, I suppose, but Hell it's yeah. it's definitely going to be worth it. So we're we're enjoying it already. Uh so so what's your question? Okay, well, hey, I uh am planning my first elk hunt out in Colorado this fall coming up. Uh, I hunted Montana yep. rifle season mule deer uh this year and I'm torn as to whether I should go for archery in Colorado or rifle. Um, I would have a little more time archery-wise versus, say, first rifles five days. So kind of looking for a recommendation there. And also kind of torn between two areas. One is an area that has long valleys and long ridges, like a couple miles long, versus really broken country. The broken country seems interesting, but would it be more difficult to find animals? I'm not sure. What do you like? What do you prefer in that situation? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I, I love bow hunting elk, so I mean, I'm kind of partial to it. I, I think that I, I we've had actually a, a question similar to this before, and, and I kind of answered it. You know, you really have to see kind of what your goals are for the hunt. Uh, some of the archery seasons actually allow you to maybe take a bull or a cow, whereas the rifle season might just be bull only. So if you go, hey, I just want to harvest an elk, I'd go with the the hunt that has more opportunity. Um, now, the nice thing about a rifle hunt is generally when you find an elk, um, it's a lot easier to get it down, right? It's a lot easier to kill the elk because the difficulty during the rifle season is going to be finding the elk. If you have more time and you're able to capitalize on that time, the archery season is nice because – you have more time to hunt. And uh, the other thing that I really like about it is the fact that, you know, you're going to probably see or encounter more elk than you might during a rifle season. So it kind of then puts it on, okay, the skills and tactics that I get to use to interact with these elk. Um, so the trouble during rifle season is it can be very difficult to find elk. And that can happen during archery season too, but it's generally the easiest time of year to find elk is during the rut. So you kind of have to weigh those two things and say, well, I feel more confident. Uh, I want to come home with some meat. Uh, maybe this gives me more of an opportunity. Maybe the rifle hunt is your, is your answer because you go, hey, I'm really good with a rifle or I feel confident that if I find one elk, um, all I have to do is now shoot that elk or get close enough to shoot that elk. And uh, it takes a, a lot of that stalking, calling, um, all the other stuff out of the equation because you can sneak in and, and shoot generally from a little bit further. Uh, so that's, it's a little bit of personal preference, but I mean, I kind of really like the archery hunts. And then my other thought would be this, if you had the opportunity to hunt during archery season, you got a little bit more time, you're probably going to, uh, maybe well, hopefully find more elk than you might during rifle season. But those elk are also going to be hopefully vocal if they are, sometimes they aren't, but, um, you can use that information later on. If you were to ever do a follow-up hunt during a rifle season, maybe in a, in a year previous you can kind of learn some stuff on the archery hunt spend a little bit more time there and then kind of use that information in a future hunt maybe rifle hunting um so i hope that helps and then when it comes to the areas you know i i like i like all kinds of country uh the the long ridges and the, and the big valleys you know that's classic kind of elk terrain um but i think that the the thing that i like that appeals to me personally about the broken country is the fact that you just have to cover more of it to effectively cover it. And so, you know, it depends your hunt strategy and your hunt style. It's going to be a lot of moving in that broken country because you just can't, 
you could be calling from one ridge and they can't hear you two ridges over. So you're just going to have to put boots on the ground and, and really get into it. Sometimes in that broken country, it's a elk are fewer and far. There's like more distance between elk um, or it's harder to get that distance between elk. But uh, you might have less encounters, but more, I would say, like encounters where you can make better plays because it's so broken. You can sneak in a little bit better. Uh, you might surprise elk and still hunt them. So it's it's also I hate to I wish I had like a more definitive answer, but it's also a toss up. If it were me, I would probably if I you just you were saying what am I going to do? I would take the archery hunt in the more broken country. Um, I would I would kind of think that I would maybe have better success in the other kind of country. But I'd probably choose that broken country to hunt in. Yeah, it seems like all along valleys, they, they have trails down the bottom of all of them. Yep. And it would be more difficult to get away from Correct. other hunters. Yeah, you know, sometimes okay. that's just like broken, sagey, just sometimes garbage-looking country with like a lot of timber and other stuff can be really good because it's it's a lot easier to get away from people because there's not as many it's harder to have roads and trails and all that kind of stuff in it so you can it also it's not as can do like there's higher populations in that real good country but if you can get away a little bit i just kind of prefer that so i'll be interested to hear what you choose and and how you do keep me posted because i'd love to hear uh, how your hunt went for you yeah i think i'm leaning towards archery and I will definitely keep you posted. And unlike the other caller, this is my oh, first time calling. Perfect. Through, so it goes <laughs> yeah, both ways. Great. Well, appreciate the call and uh, best of luck to you this season. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate everything yep, you do. Thank one. you. Bye. You too. Bye. All right. And jump into our next call here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, Remy. This is Conrad. Hey, Conrad. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, fun fact, it's my first time calling and I got through. Um, awesome. But I got a two-part question for you, if you got the time. Yeah, go for it. Um, so I was lucky enough to book a last-minute hunt with your outfitter uh, in late yep. May. Yeah. So I'm just uh, for a spring bear hunt. So I'm just kind of uh, wondering what to expect day-to-day. And then uh, if you have any gun caliber re- uh, recommendations, as well as uh, like footwear. Perfect. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, day to day. So the way that I mean, this is just, you know, the way that we kind of started doing our hunts, um, because the days are super long uh, in the springtime in Montana. And so we generally what we've figured out is we used to hunt like, before sunup till dark, every single day. And unfortunately, you get about two or three hours of sleep, and you just aren't as fresh. And we ended up finding over the years that we saw the same amount of bears, whether we hunted all day or just what I would consider like a long half day, like 10 AM, uh, till dark, because a lot of the places that we'll hunt, we hike in, it's a long hike in bear hunting is probably one of the spot and stock bear hunting is probably one of the more difficult hunts out there for the fact that there's a lot of time. Um, I almost describe bear hunting this way. It's sheer boredom combined with seconds of sheer excitement. It's probably one of the most exciting hunts there is when the action's in the action. There's just something about hunting big predators that 
I love. The days are long and the sightings are few, so there's a lot of sitting and there's a lot of glassing. Generally, we hike up a big canyon, we're set up with our optics, and we're just glassing, waiting for those bears to pop out and feed. Uh, sometimes they'll pop out early, sometimes they pop out right at dark, and then make a play from there. You know, it can be long hikes followed by long sits and a lot of, a lot of looking, and a lot of looking over a lot of different country. When it comes to uh, footwear, you know, something light, something comfortable, um, is always the best option. I run my Schnee's uh, Timberlines that time of year because there's still, it can be super wet as well. You might be walking through snow. You might be walking through a lot of water on the trail. You just don't know. You know but it could be hot, could be cold. There's just a lot of variables that time of year. It's probably the most tumultuous time in the West as far as just crazy weather patterns go. You have everything from 80 degree days or maybe 70 degrees days to zero degree days. So, um, you know, especially last year it was super wet, super snowy. So I like something that's light because you're going to be covering a lot of miles, but also, you know, comfortable and that got that waterproof durability, good ankle support. Cause you're going to be in super steep, super rough country. And what was the, uh, the other question you had? Sorry about that. Um, so like any gun caliber recommendation. Oh. So currently a 6.5, I know people love them. People hate them. But I got a really good scope on it, uh, the Leopold CDS system, and it's just been flawless the last, you know, two years for me. Yo. I, I anticipate <clears throat> longer uh, range shot, so I just feel comfortable with it. So is that a rifle that you would have someone bring, or do you recommend me getting something else? No, no, I think that was a great rifle. I, sh I, I actually hunt with a 6.5 quite a bit now. Um, I used to not hunt with it, uh, and it was because they're just the ammunition choices weren't great for bullet selection. Um, I started shooting those federal terminal ascents. I've talked about them before, but uh, I, I've actually killed like pretty much everything with that 6.5 and terminal ascent, one shot, I mean, out to 500 yards. I actually killed a cow elk at like 480. Just like it, the, the, the type of bullet makes a big difference. You know, I didn't have a lot of success with um, some ELDXs through that. I just had a lot of lot malfunction on some of those closer shots, actually. Uh, farther shots, it seemed to work pretty good. Uh, close shots, they just seemed to blow up. And I've, I used to shoot burgers as well, just really good shooting bullets, but ones that at close range maybe just expanded too fast because that bullet's going really fast. And on something like a bear that, you know, you want to make sure you put down, maybe, you know, they're maybe they've got kind of big shoulders and uh, their, their body positioning. Sometimes people kind of misjudge where their vitals are a lot. So you want a, a good solid bullet. So I, I definitely like that. Uh, I like that terminal ascent bullet. Uh, you can't load that yourself, but they've got, if you can find it, it's great. Another good one is uh, the Nosler Acubons. I had a really good luck with those on bears. Um, so a really like solid bonded bullet is what I would suggest. I've, I've seen, you know, we've, we've shot a few bears with some barns. Uh, which ones are they? The um, shoot triple shock, maybe. Uh, those have worked good. They do, uh, you know, but I do, I kind of like those, those more bonded bullets if that's possible. I don't know what kind of ammunition you got for it, but I would just kind of relook at what ammo you're shooting and then it should be perfectly fine. The thing about those spring bear hunts, you know, depending on where you're hunting, big canyons sometimes. So you got far shots there, right? Where it's like there's maybe a damn near a rushing river in between you and the bear. So you have to shoot across. And then there's times where we're hunting like logging roads and you're, you've got a 25, 30 yard shot. So you need something that's good from close range and far range. And it seems to me that those bonded bullets do the best at that from personal experience. 
I have the Hornaday match, uh, like 143 grain. Yeah. Um, and I was shooting anywhere from like, I mean, a hundred yards and in that I shot a, a doe white tail at about 350. And I mean, the scope's flawless with how it works and the physics and everything. So, and I shot up to about 450 at the place where I, you know, sight my rifle in. And, uh, I mean, it's, it, you know, it's dead on. It's crazy how cool it is and how awesome it works. Yeah, those, I mean, and those bullets, those match bullets are really good. This is this is what I would suggest, though. Those match bullets are really good at shooting, just shooting great groups. They are not really good at killing stuff because um, they're designed to just shoot really good. So they kind of fragment. They fragment really easily on impact at certain ranges and certain velocities. And that's where you get kind of like lost animals because you, it, they don't retain enough weight. So... A lot of those match bullets are, are really accurate out of those guns. Um, I mean, I shoot them when I'm shooting, like, steel or competition stuff. That's the bullet that I would choose because it's it, you're going to get way tighter groupings. Um, I would actually prefer a bullet that just has better killing power, uh, especially when it comes to bear hunting. Um, you know, bears aren't as big as a lot of people think, but they can be pretty good size, and they can be very hard to blood trail and hard to find. They're in kind of really rocky loose thick country so you want to make sure where you shoot it is where it goes down i would probably look at switching up the ammunition for that hunt if you got the time to do it and um and just finding something that you know maybe a more uh bonded type you know hunting bullet if that makes sense yeah i got all the time uh, i got like six weeks so i'll get new bullets and a new dial for the scope and then uh hopefully have a successful hunt with you guys perfect no appreciate it well we're looking forward to it and uh Best of luck on your hunt. And I guess I'll, yeah, I'll know how you do because you'll be out there with us. So <laughs> appreciate yeah, it. Are you going to be there? A, um, unfortunately, unfortunately, I won't. So it'll be one of our guides running that camp that particular week. But, uh, yeah, well, he'll keep me posted on, on how it all goes. So I might, I might pop in and out. But with our new baby, I, I told them we're taking the, the spring season of, off guiding to kind of get things settled and, and help my wife out a little bit. Yeah, that sounds like a probably a better idea. Yeah. <laughs> and it affords me a little bit more time to go hunting for myself. So a little bit of a selfish move, but she's always like, well, you know, you were just gone for four months. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I really want to go on this elk hunt that I drew a tag for. It's <laughs> like, so you should have thought about that before you went and committed to 10 weeks of guiding, you know? So, um, but no, I'll still be guiding some stuff and I'll probably be popping in and out. So, um, no, I, I might, I, I, I'm not going to promise anything, but I, you just never know. So. Perfect. Well, if you're able to pop in, I look forward to it. And if not, I still look forward to having a fun hunt with you guys. Awesome. We'll appreciate it. All right. Best of luck, and I'll talk to you later. Thank you for your time. All right. I'm going to go to our next caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? This is Nick. Hey, Nick. How's it going? Doing good. Yeah, I got kind of a two-part question uh, <clears throat> related to e-scouting. The, the the first one, I know you're an advocate. Um, the way you explain it is ridges and, and spine ridges or secondary ridges. I kind of view it as a series of basins in my mind. But <clears throat> how much yep. emphasis do you put on their orientation, uh, like as in relation to the compass? Yeah, I put a lot of emphasis on it depending on the species and the time of year. So, you know, what what side of the mountain – 
the animals are going to be using kind of depends on what you're hunting, what you're looking for. The the thing that I I guess I wouldn't say I, I put more emphasis on finding a place where the animals can easily access multiple orientations of the mountain. So they could easily go from a north slope to a south slope. They could easily go from a east face to west face because as things change, as winds shift, as other things, they're going to be using that mountain a little bit different. So if we're talking elk, then I, I put a lot of emphasis on finding those, uh, those you know, more grassy open areas because, you know, they're, they're looking for that grassy south-facing slope to feed for the most part. Um, so if I can find that, then I know that there's going to be probably good north side cover and bedding on the other side. And so I, a place where I've got both those, you know, and, and maybe so you might be looking more of a, a north-south running mountain range. And so you don't really have like those, those orientations in that particular range so much. So I maybe look for those basins where the ridges wrap around and we've got, okay, now we've got a little bit of a south facing slope here and we've got some north facing slope here on an east west mountain, if that makes sense. Um, so every area is a little bit different, but I, I do put a lot of emphasis on that, especially when it comes to, you know, but I think about it different for every species, to be honest. So when it comes to mule deer, I'm looking for, and let's say it's uh, October timeframe, I'm looking for areas where there's just going to be more shaded cover, more seclusion. I'm also looking for kind of those areas where it's maybe, you know, if it's a late season mule deer hunt, then I'm looking again for that more open south facing slope. So it just depends on when it is, but I, I put a lot of emphasis on that. And then I also put a lot of emphasis on the primary wind direction in the area and then how I hunt that. So it depends on which way the wind's going. If I'm going to, I'll try to explain it this way. Like last year I was hunting mule deer in an area and I picked my spot based on the way that I thought the wind was going to go and it was going the wrong way uh, for me. So I was actually essentially on the side, the, I was on the wrong side of the ridge because, you know, the place that they would bed would be the place that I was walking for that particular day. And that's what happened. I, I got too close and blew the deer out. So, um, you know, I, I put a lot of emphasis on understanding that and then where I could go if I get there and go, oh, okay, this is, this would be a better play for this day, or I should have come from the top instead of the bottom. Cause I could have looked in there a little bit better and a little bit different. So, um, I hope that kind of explains it, but I do put a lot of emphasis on the, the hill orientation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the second part of that and, in my mind, the more complicated part, if you're looking at it in an area, um, maybe a similar topography of, of ridges and spine ridges, what <clears throat> have you identified a way to uh, carve out like uh, migration corridors for mule deer in an area that you know is, you know, habitually migration type deer? You know, not, not not real like yes and no i would say that like migration corridors it depends so in one area in particular i found some good migration corridors while just kind of doing a little bit of research and then kind of looking at where in the state of california where there's huge like it's a very large migration this particular area i knew where they summered i knew where they kind of wintered and it was kind of multiple long ridges that come down from this big mountain it was like man that, that makes sense i go there there's trails four inches deep in these particular areas obviously not all the deer go this one trail they can drop down in the canyon there's multiple things but that's the way it's almost like if these deer were water which way would they flow and what's a good travel route for them and i was able to kind of do that and then start finding good places to hunt based on that 
Other places, not so much. You know, if you know where they are, it's like more boots on the ground and saying like, here's here's where they are, here's where they like to go. And then you can figure out the in-between spots. There's a couple places that I've hunted in Idaho and Montana where I know their summer range, I know their winter range. And so I just, you just kind of look at, this looks like a, if I think of it like this, I guess I, I you can do it in a way of saying like, what's an easy way to get from point A to point B? Sometimes they don't always do that right route, but for the most part, they do tend to, they're just like anything. They're just like us. We're going to take the road to get to a spot because it's the easiest way to go if we can. They don't want to expend too much energy. They aren't going to go up and down, up and down, up and down if there's the same ridge goes one direction. So if, if they have to make a, a good move out of there, there's kind of a, a baseline of saying like this is a good potential place that they're going to move through. And just by looking at that, then you get in there and you go, yeah, I'm right or no, I'm wrong. And still checking all the spots in between because when they are migrating, it's not like straight point A to point B. It's point A to point B to point C to point D to back to point B to point A. Like they they kind of ping pong back and forth in like a, a smaller migration pattern, if that makes sense as well. So it's not always just straight beeline to, to winter range. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I hope that answers your question and best of luck to you. Uh, hopefully you, you turn up something good. And if you do, uh, keep me posted. I'd, I'd love to hear your success or, or just say, Hey, I, I tried this and went there. Didn't work. <laughs> at least I, at least I know it's good to keep in touch with everyone. See how things turn out. Sure. thing. Thanks for all the great yeah. content. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, best of luck to you. Have a good one. All right, we're going to jump into our next caller here. Looks like possibly Tony. Is this Tony? Yeah. Hey, Remy, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good. How's it going, man? Oh, not too bad. Where are you calling in from uh, today? I'm from uh, upstate New York. Oh, awesome. I, you guys, you guys uh, staying warm up there? Uh, not after tomorrow. Something like negative 50 <laughs> coming in. Oh, boy, yeah. Batting down the hatches. Cut some firewood. Uh, prepare, yeah, I suppose. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so what's your hunting question? Uh, so I'm planning on a trip down to Kentucky for some elk and wondering if you had any experience with that. <clears throat> you know, I've, I've never hunted Kentucky for elk. I've applied there and would love to hunt elk there. Uh, you know, I think it's a little bit different experience than some of the stuff that we're hunting. I've talked, I've, I know some, quite a few people that have had the opportunity to hunt there and talk to them with it. You know, the thing that is different there is, is the type of topography, the, t- the type of strategy. I think the elk are pretty localized from what I gather. Like they've got their places there. They're eating different stuff than they're eating here. But they're still doing elk things, you know. It's still elk habitat. They've, they have been there for a long time and then got re- kind of extirpated from the landscape and reintroduced and they're doing really well. But the cool thing is they're, they're still elk. And so, you know, especially during the rut or other things, they, you know, you can call and, and same strategies there. Outside of that, the thing that I would key in on is the fact that elk can be pretty patternable. So I would play to that pattern ability of the elk. I'd figure out where they are, what they're doing, and then hopefully go to that pattern. Uh, I'd consider it very similar to hunting elk in a river bottom where the elk are kind of doing this, the same thing. And uh, there's a lot of places where we hunt river bottom elk and it's like, they're very patternable. They're very predictable. They're hitting food sources. They're kind of bedding very close to the food sources. They aren't moving, 
too far from those places and they kind of have this real predictable pattern about them. And that's a really good way to uh, key in on those animals. You're talking hunting elk in Kentucky. And what I was saying is, you know, from what I gather from people that I've talked to there and the way that I would look at this kind of hunt in Kentucky is very similar to the way that we would hunt elk on a river bottom in kind of anywhere. And and the, the thing that I would key in on is that patternability of elk. They've got their preferred food sources. They've got their preferred bedding areas and they probably won't be traveling like a, a, a real long distance. There's, there's places where I've hunted elk okay. in a lot of different places where it's not even typical elk country where it's just hardwood forest, river bottom kind of things. And the elk, if they have their food sources, especially if there's like agriculture around, they're going to be hitting that and they're going to be moving off shortly and bedding in a group. They can be pretty predictable and they can hold these little patterns, these tight little patterns in these areas. And that's the thing that I'd be focusing in on. Whether they're elk in Kentucky or elk in Idaho, elk in Oregon, doesn't really matter. Elk are elk and they're still doing elk things. And those elk things, especially during the rut, is bugling, calling. So all those tactics work the same. Um, Some of the glassing tactics might not work, but you might have more access to being maybe traveling some uh, roads and glassing fields and saying like, oh, here's, here's elk, here's, here's elk sign, here's where the elk are. And then they're, they're going to be fairly localized to where they're at. They're, they're going to be pretty patternable for the most part, especially later on when they're on food sources and other things. Um, so that's kind of the thing that I would focus in on. I'm not sure like where you're hunting or is it, uh, was it the Blue Mountains there? Is that one of the hunting areas? Blue Ridge Mountains? Yeah. Do I hunt them like the whitetails that I do back home? Yeah, or- you know. I would, like I would probably do a combination. Style. I don't know if I would necessarily sit, uh, but I would definitely do the combination of kind of thinking of them like whitetails. If you're finding food sources where they're hitting, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you could pretty much use whitetail tactics for the most part. I mean, I know a lot of guys that have hunted elk that same or similar way. They can be fairly predictable like whitetails, you know, in the way that a whitetail can be predictable. It's like they might not do the same thing every day, but they like certain things. And and when in that type of country for elk, it's not, it's a little bit different hunt than the mountains because they don't have that same topography. They don't have, uh, they've got kind of different food sources they're relying on, different types of country they're relying on, other boundaries and things like fences and this, that, and the other thing that maybe they, maybe guys have gotten sick of the elk coming in. So they've got big fences here and roads here and whatever. But where they like to be is where they feel safe. And they can be, once they're in those safe places, they might not have to move too much. Um, so once you find the elk, then you can kind of start to hunt them in that predictable pattern. And that, that goes for, you know, private land elk on river bottoms and places with similar country. You know, there's a place that I know of where it's like the elk are within five fields and then they go bed in the hardwoods back behind there. And that's what those elk do. And I've heard that there's are, there, some of the places in Kentucky are like that, where they've got their preferred feeding places. They might move around a little bit seasonally, especially when that rut hits, things can change. So I don't know what time of year you're hunting, but uh, you might have cows in one area and bulls in another. And when that rut hits, uh, whatever they're doing goes out the window because they're just focused on breeding and that, that runs things around, riles things up. But hopefully they're vocal and that gives you an opportunity to do some calling and locate them that way. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Is there... Uh is there any chance you've ever done uh, gone after moose uh, up in like Maine? Unfortunately, I have not. I have applied there for quite a while, but you know, you know how it is. You just got to win that lottery, and 
Haven't been lucky enough. Yeah, I've, I've been putting yeah. in for a couple of years. And yeah, you never know. I mean, the, the closest I've hunted to there was Newfoundland moose. And uh, from what I gather, it's pretty similar. There's pretty high populations in Newfoundland. Um, still a little ways away. But, you know, kind of the thing about the moose hunting is it's, you know, it, it pretty much similar no matter what the moose species from Shiras moose in the Rocky Mountain West to Alaska Yukon moose to canada moose in newfoundland or eastern canadian moose in newfoundland or whatever they're they still act like moose kind of the same thing about the elk is that it's a similar hunting tactics no matter where you're at okay hunting them during the rut and calling is, is a lot of fun but the hard the hardest part about that is just getting a tag yep <laughs> that's what that's that's been the hard part right now yep yeah well best of luck to you and uh hopefully you draw out that'd be awesome that's a that's an incredible hunt I consider that kind of a once in a lifetime opportunity, but you know, I know guys that have drawn it four or five times in their life. So you just never know. Yeah. My grandfather went almost every year with a moose tag in his pocket. So yeah, exactly. So I, I it is doable. So lucky. <laughs> yeah. Well, best of luck to you. And uh, hopefully this year's a little bit different. Thank you so much. And uh, congrats on that little boy. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have a good one. See ya. You too. Bye. All right, we're going to go to a couple more callers here. Remy, hey, how you doing? Yeah, pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I'm training for my first marathon right oh, now. Oh, perfect. Right on. Where, uh, where are you calling in from? Oakland, California, running out of now. Oh, perfect. Yeah, it got me wondering what's the most amount of miles you put on in a day, hiking, running, et cetera, and then when you get back, how do you rest? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I don't know the most, I think the furthest in day that I've done is like around 50 mile, 55 miles. I don't do a lot of like ultra runs or anything. Um, but, uh, that's, that's the furthest that I've gone in a day during hunting season. I think, you know, the furthest that I've just gone hunting is, you know, probably around the 30, 30 mile mark. And it's, it wasn't necessarily intentional. I was just chasing elk and started four hours before daylight and ended up hiking through the next day kind of thing. Um, you know, a long, uh, like a good day of hunting is in that 23, 24 miles kind of thing, especially like chasing elk, you know, it seems to be, but you think about that, you're like, a lot of people would go, that's a long ways. That's a, a marathon distance. And it happens a lot of days but it's a long day. You know, you aren't doing it in a matter of hours. You're doing it in a matter of sun up till dark, which might be 20 hours. You just don't know. Like it could be a long day. Um, so that's literally just a mile and a little bit over a mile an hour, which is not crazy, but you've got mountains and steep stuff and it's just completely different. You've got pack on. It's just completely different than, you know, flatland running, I would say. But the thing that is the same is that muscle recovery. When you run a marathon, you know, you're just, you're doing it all in a short amount of time. For me, muscle recovery, it, it comes for like my, I kind of have like the standard thing that I do and I found that it works really well and it involves staying well hydrated and then using, you know, essentially like recovery products. I've talked about them before, but the wilderness athlete, uh, hydrate and recover. Like I swear by that stuff because I've used it when I'm just completely gassed or completely just like everything hurts and you can like feel the effects of it when you're pretty much zonked out and actually we're gonna between now and this podcast i'm gonna talk to uh, some guys about that kind of bonking thing and just how ways to recover and other stuff so we've got a podcast coming up on that 
But the interesting thing is that's a big one rolling out as well. Like if, if I've got a, a really hard day, you know, I'll use a, you know, Yeti Yonder bottle, whatever you got to roll out in my tent. Um, use that as like a, essentially like a self massage and then getting good sleep. And, uh, it's kind of the same deal. Like I'll take some, you know, sleeping vitamins if I, if I can't sleep or whatever, just to help my, my body just recover my brain recover a little bit from like a really hard day. That's great context, that 23 mile mark. And that's not, you know, flat land or straight uphill. That can be side hilling yep. and any number of things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing is, um, I learned this from a buddy of mine who's a nutritionist and he calls it, it's front loading. You know, I, I've fallen victim to this so many times where we're back loading. We just go until we're hungry. And the idea of like having energy to burn, you know, eating before you need to eat is always a good thing to do. And that's something that I've been better at later on in life and have found that I just have way more energy for the duration. So, you know, like, with your uh, marathon or whatever, you know, staying ahead of it, staying fueled and, and then eating, you know, enough calories in the mountain or whatever. So you have that extra energy. So your recovery goes a little bit faster. I think between all those things, hydration, f- focusing on your foods and the things you're eating, and then just, um, you know, getting good rest. That's the surest way to recover for the next morning sun. Good stuff. Yeah. I can put that in action. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Well, enjoy your training and uh, best of luck to you. Appreciate it. Here. All right. We're going to go to one more caller here. Hey, welcome to Live Wild Podcast. Who am I talking to? Hey, Remy. This is Jason from Idaho. Uh, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How's it going, Jason? Oh, not too bad. Just uh, just thinking about elk season, deer season coming up. Uh, fortunately, Idaho has a couple of really cool hunts that kind of coincide. And uh, really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, nothing better than having a couple tags in your pocket, for sure. My my main question is, so my deer and elk tag both fall on the last half of September, and then my deer tag follows into, the, like, the first week of October. Yep. And uh, luckily, my wife is freaking awesome, lets me go scouting pretty much whenever I want. And uh, I just, I don't know how to translate... Um, what I find in, you know, July, August, and the first half of September into finding elk and deer in that second half of September and that first week, October, like, um, I just, I just can't really figure out whether they're going to be in that same su- uh, summer pattern or if they're going to be moving down the mountain or uh, what they're going to end up do- doing. Yeah, that's the hardest thing, right? Because I know there's a, there's a lot of places where I've done that where you go you go summer scout and you go, okay, cool, I found them, right? What's going to happen when I can actually hunt them? And mm-hmm. it, it honestly depends on the year. There's been right. times where I've found uh, elk or deer in you know beginning of August, and I've killed that elk or deer within five six hundred yards of that spot in the end of September. Um, but primarily I would say 
you know, for the, the couple things that I would look at. The first thing that I would look at when it comes, I would split those two species up because mule deer and elk are going to do two completely different things. And every year is a little bit different. This last year, they're holding velvet a lot longer. And right. that means that they're in their summer a little bit longer. Um, they might do that again this year. There's, there's some pretty good snows in some places. Um, it, it just depends, you know, like how they fared through the winter, the condition that they're going into the spring that kind of translates into everything when the rut hits. And, and there's so many factors in it. So every year is a little bit different. When I am like up there scouting and I see a, a good bull, um, I put my, my elk brain on and I look around. I'm like, okay, this is they're here they're summering they're bachelored up they're velveted this is great there's bulls and then maybe i watch them a little bit and and i i look around in that area and i go is there wallows in that area that they they were using in september at some point is there uh rubs where they've ripped up trees in the past because if not you know they're probably moving out of that area before september hits and they're probably going to wherever those cows are another thing that i think about is is there a lot of cows in this area because if there's not a lot of cows then they're probably going to go down to those nurseries, those summer nurseries, and, and try to pick up some cows later. Now, the cows will move too, um, but for the most part, the cows are in there like feeding and they've got their own thing going and the bulls are going to go in there and try to disrupt it. So it's not to mean that they won't be there, but maybe the ones that you find might move along. There's some animals that I find in the summer and I've never found them again. You know, right. it's just like you find them every summer and you just don't find them again. Um, it's, it just means that they move on. So I look for right. those clues and cues first. And then if not, I kind of find places where it's like, hey, where are the cows at? Um, I'm, I, I know where there's good bulls, but where's, where's a good population of cows for that mid-September to end of September? Now, as we roll into October, things start to change a little bit. But, you know, the, the, the bulls will kind of then pull off a little bit. And they might actually go back up um, to where you saw them in the summer. But I would, I would kind of consider that maybe a little bit later in October, um, like the first couple weeks of October. Uh, so that, right. that's another thing where I've found bulls in October in some places where I've hunted, scouted early. And I don't think that they were there until they kind of split off <clears> and were kind of done rutting or they went up and found a small group of cows and did their thing. Now, mule deer, I'm going to – we're going to flip the script on mule deer because – you know, mule deer are going to start transitioning a lot. or They don't rut in September. They're transitioning a lot from that velvet to that hidey hole. And generally in September, I find those mule deer <clears throat> semi-close to those summer ranges. But I would say like a good – like if they're at the top of the mountain and maybe you're just finding them in an alpine area, I'd find them in that first band of like top third, <clears throat> the top of the top third. Like they drop down maybe 500 to 1,000 feet, and they're in that kind of thicker cluster. It's the hardest place to find them. But um, on the flip side, I found some of the best deer we've ever killed have been in that hard time, and it's been by finding them in the summer, dropping down into that cover below that kind of like summer area, and then just being so patient, it makes you crazy. You don't see a lot, but when you do see something, it might be something you go after. So I don't know. I, I think that like that, that mid-top third in the mountain is always a good bet that late in September if you're just kind of comboing it up. If I was going cold turkey into an area, that's what I would do because I know that I'd probably find – I'd be where the cows were. I'd probably find elk in there, and I'd definitely probably bump into mule deer at the same time. I'd probably focus on the elk first and then see what you learned during that elk hunt or maybe shoot a mule deer, you know, in essentially like on accident almost just because you saw it while you are elk hunting, you know. Right. 
Awesome. Well, I appreciate, well, I appreciate the call. It, and as our last caller, uh, you are also one of our winners today. So you got your option of a Go Hunt Insider membership or a outdoor class subscription. Um, if you got social media, shoot me a message and I will make sure to get you all set up. If awesome. you don't, I'll figure out another way to get it to you. But uh, will that work for you? Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Well, hey, appreciate the call. Let me know how you do and best of luck to you. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right. Bye. All right. Well, thank you guys so much, everybody that called in, everybody that participated today. I know we had a few technical issues going on, but thank you guys so much for uh, for sticking around. You know, I, I really enjoy these live call-ins. I wish I could get to everyone. If I didn't get to your call this time, best of luck next time. The, the lines fill up fast. We only can take so many calls. So I thank you guys so much for for your time, for listening in, for supporting this podcast. It means a lot to me. And I really enjoy getting to talk to you guys. And I especially enjoy getting to talk to you guys and then seeing how your hunt planned out or panned out uh, this coming season. So keep me in the loop. Let me know whether I talk to you or not. Feel free, as always. Keep me posted on how your hunts are going, success maybe you've had from a tactic or whatever. And thank you guys so much. I appreciate you all. As a reminder, if you're interested, you know, using code Live Wild, you can get our outdoor class. You can get a discount on it. It's 20% off. I think it's, a, it's really valuable. A lot of these questions in here, a lot of questions guys have, maybe something not covered on the podcast. My particular outdoor class is on mule deer. I, I do a deep dive into mule deer hunting. My one coming up, I can tease it. It's going to be later this year. It's going to be archery hunting mule deer. And there's going to be some things that I think you're going to really enjoy for those of you thinking about bow hunting mule deer. I'm putting that together right now. We're going to be filming it here pretty soon. But there's also a myriad of other options in there. Some great stuff about rifle elk hunting. If you want to learn about elk calling, one of the masters, Corey Jacobson's on there. Uh, he's, he's essentially got his whole Elk 101 library. Uh, Corey's a great guy, great elk hunter. You can learn a lot from him as well. There's some really good stuff on there. So you don't just get my course. You get all the courses on there, all the new ones that come up. It's a, it's a subscription-based service. So if you guys are interested in that, you know, you can get a discount. Use code LIVEWILD. I appreciate all the support. Uh, those of you that have reached out and enjoyed those courses as well. So thank you guys so much until next week. I'm just going to say live wild. I, I like ending the, I like ending the call in ones like that. So thank you guys. And we will catch you later.